You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. Welcome back to the Resilient Humans Podcast. My guest today is the founder of Maha. That's an independent yoga retreat, lifestyle coaching, and consulting practice that promotes inclusive barrier-free access to well-being. My guest has also practiced yoga, meditation, and mindfulness for close to 25 years. I'm also happy to say that she's a CrossFitter and is also a new author of a book called The Mind-Body Way. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Kevin. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. So you've been busy. You've been doing a lot of things. Writing a book is is kind of a big deal. What... Like, how did that even enter your, your psyche? Like what, what got you into that idea? Yeah, that's such a a great question. And um, it's, it's pretty amazing to see it as a physical final product because for the length of time that it took it during that period, it was always just this idea. And then it was these word documents. And then it was finally something physical. Um, it was about a three-year process wow. and it really started um, in December of 2019, uh, right after I had this experience of giving a talk about leadership and going into that talk with the sort of standard leadership narrative. And when I arrived to the location of the talk, I had this feeling that I, I wasn't doing the right thing that what I was going to be talking about wasn't the right thing for me to be saying. And one of my friends who I met at a a yoga teacher training in India a few years prior to that had just finished a TEDx talk. And it was all about embodiment and letting your body lead. And so just organically, I was in my hotel room and I went to watch her video again And it gave me this inspiration to just rewrite my whole talk to kind of frame it really from the perspective of my own leadership journey, um, the authenticity that I try to bring to my leadership roles, and, and listening to my body as part of the data that I use to make decisions on a day to day basis. The talk went really well, people really resonated with it. The feedback that I got was fantastic. And so I reached out to my friend and told her, you know, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for putting that TEDx talk out into the world because it really helped me to take this step into the unknown, to do something super uncomfortable and to actually feel good about it afterwards. And it gave me the idea to want to do a project with her. So I said, would you be interested maybe in working on something around this? Maybe even a book? And she... She said, yeah, let's, let's have a further conversation. So she's in Calgary and I have another friend in Ottawa um, who I had been wanting to do a project with for a really long time. And uh, so I mentioned it to her as well. And so this was all around December, 2019. We all met in January, 2020. Um, so myself and Dr. Julie Bolak, who's based in Ottawa and Casey Berglund, who's based in Calgary, met on the phone. The two of them, Julie and Casey had never met before. 
but we talked about this project and we decided that we were going to start just slowly putting ideas down on paper, building a bit of a framework for the book, fleshing out our ideas. And that of course, over the course of 2020, we would have maybe a writer's retreat and go meet somewhere tropical <laughs> and actually write this book together. And we all know what happened around March. Um, so we just kept writing. We kept writing for three years. We would meet on Sundays um, and use a, a really innovative writing approach whereby one of us would start on a section and then we'd hand it over to the next one and she would start from where we started, go through it and then add to it. And then that would get passed on to the third one who would go through what first second person did and then continue to add. So that it was extremely collaborative, super vulnerable because you had to put your thoughts and your ideas and your words into the hands of someone else with the risk that they might delete <laughs> something of what you'd written. Um, but it also ended up being really fluid and we can't, I can't anyway, often tell who wrote what in the book at the end of the day, uh -huh. which is what we wanted in the end. That's pretty cool. I've never heard of that type of a uh, collaborative approach before, other than a, like a campfire game mm. where you say a word and the next person said, and you're trying to create this sentence and story and all you get is the next word. So that, that's right. the only other time I've heard of anything like that. So to the fact that you can write a book in that similar manner is, is pretty remarkable. Um, you mentioned the word embodiment. What, what does that even mean? Such a great question because there, there isn't really an agreed upon definition for embodiment. So but I would say, step back. When did you first hear about that word? When did I first hear about that word? I would say um, actually quite a while back, probably during my first yoga teacher training back in 2003. Um, just because of the, the, the body focus of the body mind focus of yoga. So embodiment in that context is allowing yourself to be fully present within your body to whatever sensations, feelings, emotions, pain or ease, whatever is actually coming up for you, just being present to that. So, so in yoga, we encourage people to stay in their bodies if they can. It's not always comfortable. And, and for some people who've had traumatic experiences, it actually feels pretty unsafe to stay, quote unquote, in their bodies for those experiences. But I would say the first exposure that I had to the notion of embodiment was, was around that time. And interestingly, I was very disembodied when I started practicing yoga. My, my brain was kind of over here to, to my left and my, my body was kind of all over here far right. Um, and I felt that if I could get my brain to figure out all the things I needed to do, uh, that I'd be fine. That I could just run this whole system just from the brain. And, um, and I learned through, through yoga that the, the mind is, is not sufficient, it's a necessary condition, <laughs> but it's really not sufficient when it comes to, to well-being, when it comes to resilience, 
when it comes to leading your best life and, and achieving your goals. So the, the image that came to mind as you were talking was kind of like the yin yang image, the, the, you know, the symbol, but those being separated and kind mm. of like, that's where you were, like they were mm. two separate entities and then the concept of embodiment br- brought them together and kind of, you treated it as one as opposed to separate. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. Yeah. I like that image. It's, it's really the integration of the whole self and, uh, and being able through that integration to access everything that the body has to, to teach you. And really in the book, we, we talk about the mind body as one thing. Like we really try to create a vocabulary whereby we're not talking about mind and body because they're actually not separate. So we titled the book as the mind body. And in the book, we go mind hyphen body to try to emphasize this notion that it's, it's actually just one thing. But in our society, we tend to think of them as two separate things. Right. That's, and so has your, has your view of or definition of embodiment changed over the years since, since 2003, when you kind of was first introduced to this? Yeah. Initially it was very much about being in the body and being present for everything that's happening. And that's still a really important component. But as we were digging into this book uh, and in the lead up to it, um, I was really thinking a lot more deeply about not just being present to those sensations, but to actually try to use those sensations, those feelings, those emotions, those signals as, as data to support decision-making. Almost like, uh, and we call it in the book, a somatic, somatic meaning the body, a somatic dashboard. Can you give me an example of what, how that would work using sensations yeah. to, to drive a decision? Yeah. Like I'm sure we've all, and, and the listeners will probably relate to this. We've all had that sensation of your stomach dropping, of being in a situation where you just feel that oh, sort of dropping deep into your stomach and that level of discomfort. That is data. That is your body. That is the wisdom of your body trying to send you a signal. And the language that it uses isn't words. Its vocabulary is sensation, it's emotion, it's imagery, it's color, it's feelings of expansiveness or of constriction. And so feeling that stomach drop is not something that you should just dismiss and ignore and push through. It's something that you should pause and ask, what is the body trying to tell me here? What message can I get from this particular signal? It sounds like you're just, you're talking about curiosity. Curiosity, I think is a, is a key factor in this being willing to, to pause and be curious about what your body is trying to communicate. And that really opens up the door. That's cool. How, how does one, so what I imagine is that, you know, as a society, as people, we're going through life. And we have all of these sensations, but we're almost oblivious to them. 
So how do we practically listen to our bodies? What tips can you give people to say, to like tune in as opposed to tuning out? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the first step for a lot of us, and this was certainly the first step for me, is, is just to start to notice the sensations. Without judgment, just start to notice that there is a sensation that is present. Like you say, a lot of us have either been oblivious to these sensations or we've tapped into them in the past or super aware of them in the past, but didn't feel that these were data that were useful to us or culturally in society or in our families or how we grew up, maybe those signals were, were dismissed for us, right? So as children, we're probably all pretty embodied, like pretty attuned <laughs> with what our needs are, what the sensations of our bodies are and what they're telling us. As children, we, we know we're hungry. We just know. As adults, some of us have trouble even figuring out if we're hungry or thirsty because we're so disconnected from the sensations in our bodies. So the first step is just acknowledging that there are sensations that are there and there's holding space and start to, to get familiar with them again without judgment, without trying to change anything, just noticing. And then slowly with time, starting to hold with those sensations for longer and start to sense and feel into what those sensations might be trying to tell us. Would you, I would assume that if you observe long enough, you're going to start to see patterns what are some patterns that you've recognized in either yourself or, or other people? Yeah, I think that's a really great uh, observation, Kevin. And I know a pattern that I've noticed in myself is the whole uh, pattern around anxiety. So, and I used to be oblivious to the precursors to anxiety. Mm. So I would be in a, in a difficult situation in a stressful situation and then all of a sudden I'm having an anxiety attack. And clearly my body would give me all of these signals. The dashboard would be flashing all the colors, but I'm not paying attention to that. And I'm caught off guard by the, the rapid heart rate, by the inability to think clearly, um, by the increased pace of breath, palms sweating, face red, having to you know, go somewhere else to allow this to pass, um, which can be really disruptive and get in the way of, of the goals that you're trying to achieve. And so for me now, the pattern that I've noticed over time is that the anxiety will start to show up in the pit of my stomach. It'll feel like a tightening, like a fist sort of wrapping itself around my stomach. It'll start to move up my chest, esophagus, and get to my throat. And I'll start to feel the tightness in my throat as well. Can't speak, more difficulty breathing, which is probably sending a signal to my nervous system that I'm short on air and is causing me to hyperventilate. So these things are, are interconnected. Then I'll feel the heat. I'll feel it in my throat, my neck, my chest. And then it'll start to move its way up my face. There'll be like a blushing that will happen at the same time. And and what's so fascinating about this is that once you notice the pattern, once you're in tune with the communication that your body's sending you, you can take measures earlier on in the process to support yourself, 
to intervene. In now, nutrition, we, we call that breaking the chain. Breaking the like, chain. You, yeah. you don't wait until you're at the anchor. You, you find out what are the clues and hints along that mm-hmm. chain and break that anchor, break that habit before it reaches the end of it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the closer you can get to sort of the beginning of, of the chain, the, 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 the better it will be in terms of being able to, to either prevent or mitigate um, or address the issue. Now that's a case of, you know, my body is alerting me uh, to, to something, it's reacting in a way to a situation where my, my nervous system is interpreting danger. But the same signals can happen where your body is trying to give you information about what the best decision would be for you to make and what choice you should be heading towards. So in the book, we talk, for instance, about how do you know when your body is telling you no versus telling you yes? So what does a no feel like? And we give the example of what was a situation? Well, maybe I'll ask you, Kevin, if you're willing to play along. Sure. Tell me about a time where you said yes to something, but everything inside of you wanted to say no. Hmm. That's a good question. I have to think now. I'm not usually on the other end of the questions here. <laughs> um, I guess it could be as, you know, as, as minor as deciding, deciding what to eat or where to go out to eat. Like it's, it doesn't have to be a huge decision. Right. Um, but yeah, some, something along the lines of, you know, sh- should I have another, another piece of cake? And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, um, my body's saying like, no, listen, you've had enough. You don't need any more. But then I'm like, but it's whatever. It's my birthday. I can have whatever I want. Right. So um, yes, even small decisions can have that, that feeling of your body saying no, but you're, you're actually saying yes. Yeah. So in the case of the cake, your body's saying, no, you've had enough. You feel satiated. Like what are the sensations that you can imagine would be going around in your body? Yeah. So it's, uh, I have to close my eyes. So if you're listening to this, I'm closing my eyes cause I'm trying to embody, I'm trying to feel what, what that's like. Um, I guess I would feel satisfied. I would feel it's like I've, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the the feeling is associated with that though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like, I I just think of like a, almost like a gas tank, like I'm full. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't need to top it up even more because things are going to start spilling out. So I use, I guess in my feelings, I I use a lot of imagery Mm -hmm. and that's, that's one of the images that comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. So your body's giving you the signal. You've had enough. You feel satisfied. You don't really need this, um, but your your will is going to override those signals because you're you're creating other justifications as to why you should go ahead and have the cake. and And food is an interesting example because sometimes we override the body's own signals, and then that that food timeline kind of continues into the future, and you have the consequences of that of, of not feeling so great afterwards, and and so right. on. And the same can happen with a, with kind of a life decision, right? You say 
you say yes to a new project because, man, I'm so grateful that I was asked to do this. And I think it's really interesting. But your body's saying to you, you know what? You already have so much on your plate. You really don't have any space for this right now. But your brain is like, no, if I don't say yes to this, I'm never going to be asked again. And I'm going to miss this opportunity. So I'm going to forge ahead. And the body's like, man, not again. Yeah. <laughs> Are you doing this to us? Right. So there's this constant communication that is happening, but we have the strong will where we can, we can override. And so in the book, we're just trying to help people to just start making that connection, start reconnecting to those sensations, start to build some understanding so that the lines of communication can be reopened and the dialogue can start to happen. It doesn't mean that everything is going to change immediately, but at least you're going to start to see that dashboard light up. You're going to start to get access to this extra set of data that are inherent to you. They're all just part of you, but they can inform you and help you guide yourself towards decisions that are maybe a little bit better informed by your inner wisdom than by just what your mind or your, your self, your ego is, uh, is trying to, uh, to influence or generate. I don't remember where I heard this from, but that reminds me, you were talking about the, the anxiety and it can be, it can relate to almost any um, emotion or feeling that kind of um, elevates, I guess, or, or, you know, ramps up your body will start out by whispering to you. Mm. And then if you ignore it, it turns into a yell. And if you keep ignoring it, it turns into a scream mm. and, it's learning to tune in when it's whispering. Mm. I remember where it was. It was about, um, it was an injury. It was a, um, like a physical training and they were talking about injury and it was saying Mm. like a lot of people would ignore the whispers. Like, Oh, I get, you know, I get a little creak creak in my shoulder and you know, it just doesn't feel very right. Well, that's the whisper. And then Mm. the yell is like, Oh, I can't really press as much as I could before. I don't know. Maybe I'll just modify some movements or, or work through it. And then the scream is you tore your rotator cuff. Like that's you've, you've reached its limit or that body part reached its limit. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is the same idea where your, your body, those, those somatic messages that it's trying to send you, they will start out as a whisper. And Mm. if you ignore them, they're going to turn, they're going to amp up and it's going to lead into, you know, if we're talking about anxiety, it can be a full blown anxiety attack, or it could be a a binge eating episode or what what have you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that kind of jive with what you guys are talking about in the, in the book? Yeah, I think it does. And, and I, I love this, this progression of whisper to yelling to, to screaming. And I would add to it, at the end, after the screaming has not been listened to, then there's silence. And so I think a lot of us are at the silence stage where we're just not listening. And the bodies stop trying <laughs> to communicate to us because we're not listening. So how do we go from the silence and cycle back to the whisper? And how do we create space for that whisper to actually turn into a voice a conversation, an ongoing conversation, an ongoing dialogue that is happening between you and, and your mind body and your nervous system. What's a tool for doing that? 
How can we practically do that? Again, I think it, it starts with just acknowledging that there is information that is coming at you that is not showing up in the same form as, as other forms of communication. It's not words. It's not a text that you're getting. It's not an email that your body's sending you. It's, it's really in the form of, of sensations, of emotions, of, of feelings, of, of feelings of, I was mentioning constriction and expansion before. Um, one of my yoga teachers, in fact, when I was at the yoga teacher training in 2017, where I met Casey, um, the, the teacher who was hosting that is named Yogi Vishkavetu. And, and Casey had asked him at some point about different states of being. And he said, there's really only two states of being. There's constriction and there's expansion. And those are the two that you need to be concerned about. If you're in restriction, then your body is sending you the strong signal that what you're doing isn't quite right for you. Maybe not the right thing, maybe not the right time. Um, it's holding you back. Expansion is that state of openness, willingness to, to try new things, to grow. It's a state of ongoing growth and resilience. And, and that's where you want to be. And if, if all you did was observe those two signals, if you're not having the full, full conversation, but all you're watching for is, do I feel tight and constricted in this moment? Or do I feel expansive? Already you're getting a first light on your dashboard that is giving you a sense of where you should be turning your attention. The, the image that came up for me there when you talked about, you know, being expansive is the concept of flow. And that's mm. really when you're doing the things that bring you joy, that you love to do when you're around the people that, that enhance your, your relationships. Um, yeah, that's, I don't have anything else to say about that, but that's just the yeah. image that came to mind. Like get, get, you're yeah. in that flow and everything just feels right. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that we, we talk about flow in the book as uh, an embodied experience. Nice. Right. Because a flow state is characterized by something you really love. Right. What does that feel like in your body? feels expansive, feels fun, feels joyful, etc. It's characterized by something that is offering you a challenge that is just that tiny bit out of reach. You can still attain it, you feel like you have the competence, but you're going to have to grow a little bit to get to it. Again, what does that feel like in your body? It feels expansive, it feels challenging, it feels like you, you want to achieve it. Right? It's going to be a little bit hard. There's maybe a little bit of tiny fear or apprehension, but there's something that's driving you towards it. The other indicator of, of flow is you lose that sense of time. You lose the sense of time in terms of its actual speed. Either time expands for you or it constricts for you. Mm. Again, this is a sensation that you can feel in your body. And so for us, flow is not only an embodied experience, but we would argue that it is a state that you can more readily achieve when you're embodied, because you'll know to look for and recognize those indicators within yourself of when you're getting close to flow or when you're in a state of flow.
that's it. I just went to like the concept, like when I coach a, an hour long CrossFit class, I'm like, when the class is over, I'm like, I didn't feel like an hour. <laughs> like it just, it cruises by. And now when I'm in my mindset meetings, like when I, fir- I initially set out to have one hour long meetings with my mindset clients, I was like, man, how am I going to fill that? Mm-hmm. And now it's like, how can I keep it within an hour? It's just, yeah. it, I love it so much and it's enthralling and it, it's true. You lose, you literally lose track of time when you're in that state. And I, I, I appreciate it so much now. You've mentioned the word um, resilience. I usually save this for the end, but we're going to hit it in the middle. I'm going to switch things up first. So there's two questions here. First, what's, what's your definition of resilience? How would you describe it? And then how does embodiment support resilience? Hmm. Yeah. So great. Um, so for me, resilience is the, it's the ability to face and overcome obstacles. And, and sometimes people will say resilience is then the ability to kind of bounce back or go back to your initial state. But for me, resilience actually includes an element of growth. So it's the ability to overcome the obstacle or hold space or withstand the challenge and then find yourself on the other side of it with that little bit of extra strength, yep. as opposed to going back to your initial state or finding yourself below your initial state because the, the obstacle took energy away from you. So the quality of resilience is overcoming the obstacle and somehow coming out of it with, with more fuel in your tank, with more energy, with more strength, more power. As I've been interviewing people, that's, that's, that definition has, has evolved over the years because oftentimes people would say it's bouncing back to where you mm-hmm. were, but we recognize that that's actually not the point of resiliency. It's to mm-hmm. bounce forward yeah, better, better than where you were. Mm-hmm. So yeah, then, then how does that uh, support or how does embodiment support resilience or vice versa? How does resilience support embodiment? Mm-hmm. So th- there's a lot of, of, of ways, a lot of elements that we could unpack here, but maybe to keep it simple, I think the more, the more embodied you are, the better sense that you have, the better connected you are to your inner experience, the better equipped you will be to face those obstacles and to be able to overcome the obstacle or overcome the challenge because your body is supporting you through that process. So just to give you a a concrete example related to the CrossFit gym, in terms of lifting really heavy things, okay? When I first joined your gym, I don't remember when, 2016 or so, I was not as embodied as the second time I joined your gym last Mm -hmm. year. And um, so I wasn't as resilient. And so what would happen is I would lift heavy things with my ego. And I wasn't listening to the signals of my body and I kept hurting myself. 
I hurt my shoulder, I hurt my back, I hurt my hip. And I wasn't paying attention to what was going on inside my body, what all the subtle signals, the, the, the whisper, the yell, the ultimate scream. I wasn't paying attention to any of that because what was driving me was my mind wanting to be able to lift heavier and heavier things. So the competition was really within me. Um, and I had to stop. Now, this more recent time, last year when I rejoined, having done all of this work and all of this thinking around embodiment, um, I have much more resilience because I'm able to go to a CrossFit workout and pay attention to what my body is telling me. How ready am I to undertake this workout? How far am I going to be able to push myself? How much growth can I get out of this? What are the signals that will be telling me that I've gone that little bit too far and I need to dial it back, et cetera, et cetera. And so far, after a year and a bit of being back, I haven't hurt myself once. Now, yes, some mornings I get up and I have trouble walking because I pushed hard, sure. but I haven't injured myself. You know, the physio I used to go to is, hasn't, hasn't seen me in a couple of years because I'm embodied. And because I'm embodied, I'm able to grow my resilience with each challenge, physical challenge that I undertake. And the same applies to, to cognitive challenges, to mental challenges, to life challenges. Being embodied has allowed me to stay present for and grow through the process of, of losing my parents. It's allowed me to stay present for and, and grow through the process of, of changing jobs. It's allowed me to, to stay in my body long enough to actually feel the sensations of what those experiences were like and integrate the wisdom and the knowledge that came from those sensations. So I could come out the other side of it a better person with more knowledge, more experience that I can draw on for future challenges. That's a, that's a cool story, by the way, about being injured and then that that concept of resiliency coming back in um i hope a lot of our members listen to that because i want them to take away and you kind of hinted at it but each day you come in you have to feel where yeah. where am i right now you know you might you might have lifted x amount of weight one time that doesn't mean that you're going to do that every single time you walk through the door. Mm -hmm. And we had to have that chat with um, one of our members just recently, um, you know, overall levels Brown. So that's like pre pretty high end, but then recently not finishing workouts under the time caps. Mm -hmm. What's going on here. Right. So it's like, do you, do you have the adaptability to take a step back and just say, okay, I'm going to dial it back a bit. Let's see what happens. Oh, wow. You're finishing your workouts in an appropriate amount of time. Oh, neat. You're not feeling as worn out or, or broken down after your workouts. Now imagine that mm -hmm. so it's coming into that each and every day that you come in with that sense of curiosity and adaptability so that you can do this for the long term, right? Like yeah. that's, that's the point of all this. I find this resiliency. It's not just about the current moment. It's about how, how can we push this out to the mm -hmm. length of our life, right? And so it can't just be about do hard things for the sake of doing hard things. 
it's how, how can we make this last as long as possible? Yeah. So for me, that's, that's definitely part of resiliency. And I think this, like you said, this embodiment will only help to amplify that resiliency for as long as possible. Yeah. And, and what you're saying, Kevin, translates so well to the workplace as well. And, and we, in the book, we, we frame it a lot around leadership. So leading yourself, but also if you're in a manager role, a leadership role, whatever that looks like, because we're all leaders in our own domains. Um, but if you're running a business or if you're, you know, a, a leader or a manager in an organization, or if you're a coach, this stuff really translates well into the workplace because again, you're looking to do it for the long term. You want to be a leader for the rest of your life. And we see so many people around us, really strong, powerful, impactful individuals who are, who are burning out. And so part of the rationale of writing this book was to, to put in the hands of those who are just about to burn out or starting to get the early signals that they might be burning out or who've already crossed that line to say there's a better way. There's a resilient way. There's a way that's more um, where you can express more curiosity, where you can adapt to changing situations and you can build up that resilience for the longer term so you can accomplish the big things that you are meant to accomplish in the world. And to me, being able to listen to your body, just like I do in the gym, I try to do in the workplace. I have much better understanding now of when I'm at risk of, of exhaustion. And again, if we take that chain of events, you know, from, from, from injury, from that, those initial signals that you might hurt yourself all the way to injury, the same is going on for burnout. There's some early indicators that you're on that train, that you're on that path. And so I'm much better able to recognize those early indicators in my body. Um, things like exhaustion, things like reduced levels of attention, um, distractibility. You know, these are all things that are telling me, my body is saying to me, look at, you need to take a little pause. You need to actually go for a walk. And if you keep pushing through, you're going to be using up a lot more calories, a lot more energy than you would need otherwise. And just like at the gym, you're going to be more effective if you take a day off as opposed to pushing through, you know? So what we learn in, in the gym applies to our day-to-day -day lives, applies to our work lives. It's, it's all the same thing. I love how the gym is such a good uh, analogy for life. It's, you can, yeah. you can make so many comparisons between the two. It's, it's insane. Mm -hmm. um, what you said at, what we talked about at the very start about what does a no feel like that mm -hmm. just brought up the, the concept. I've heard this from very successful uh, people in the business uh, realm is you will be more successful when you learn how to say no, mm -hmm. just learning how to say no to things. And yeah. I've, <laughs> I've embodied that uh, more so now than I have, I want to say pre COVID like, man, COVID was the worst thing that could happen to, to our world yet so many good things came out of it. And just for me, it was 
having that space and time to be able to just like think instead of just always on the, in the do. Mm. And one of, one of those times was being able to think about what, what can I, what can I start saying no to now? And for, for us at the gym, it came to like, we're going to close on Sundays and are we going to lose members over this? Yep. But we all need that downtime. We want to be able to express our fitness on a day of the week. And so for our staff, that's a Sunday. We don't have to worry about the gym being open. There's no worries. We're just out doing the things that we want to do that are bringing joy, cultivating those relationships that, that we were talking about earlier. Um, so that was, that was one of the benefits of COVID was that downtime and, and chance to actually think about these things. And it, you know, goes back to the gym. If you don't take those rest days, you're not going to get the time or the space to think about or to feel or to, you know, get in tune with your body to find out what it's actually saying to you. If you're always in always grinding hundred percent nose to the grindstone, there's no time. You don't have any time to, to tune in and figure out what is my body actually saying? You're just masking it with more things to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the less that you pay attention, the, the, the more subtle the signal is going to get until we get to that, that quiet, you know, where the body's not really, I mean, it's always trying to communicate to you, but it's, it's certainly not going to be sending you very small, small, strong signals. If you're not actually paying attention, it's like putting the, it's like putting the tape over the blinking VCR. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's still blinking underneath there, but can't see it. Then it's probably not a problem. Right. That's a good analogy. I like that one. That's good. It's like when the, the car, the car warnings come on, I just, if you can't see it, it's, it's fine. It's not though. Uh, Corey, this has been awesome. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to bring up uh, before we sign off? Well, I, I really appreciated this conversation. I think um, that there's just so many analogies that we were able to make um, between our, our respective domains of work and, and where we meet in the middle in terms of the gym. So I'm, I'm just really grateful for the opportunity. And I, I do want to give a shout out to my co-authors who we're not able to be with us today, but uh, Dr. Julie Bolak uh, and Casey Berglund, uh, who through this writing process, I mean, we started out as friends, um, but through the, the, the collaborative, uh, very um, vulnerable writing process that we went through, I think we came out the other end as, as sisters, you know, as, as ongoing collaborators, as, as really closely connected. And that, that is also something that comes out of embodiment, that when you're in your body and you're connected to the signals you're receiving and your nervous system is regulated, other people are gonna feel really good around you. And they're gonna be open to being vulnerable and being regulated with you. And when we can bring people together who all feel in that way, we can do so many great things because our bodies will be supporting us in doing it as opposed to shutting us down and, and making us scared of accomplishing big things. And, and the reason why we target leaders, we wanna get them into their bodies is because we need them. We need them to be embodied to do the big things that, that are needed in this world. I can support that hundred percent. I absolutely agree. Where can uh, our listeners find your book? So the book, uh, if, if the listeners are in Moncton in New Brunswick, uh, they can go to the corn crib on Mountain Sweet. Road. 
<laughs> so the Corn Creative has been our um, our supporter in this, and uh, so you can find the book there. Or uh, if you want to look for it in the digital space, it's available on uh, all digital platforms. So your Amazons, your chapters, etc. If you want to learn more about us, the book writing process, and so forth, you can go to mindbodywaybook.com. Just mind, body, way, all one word, book. Uh, com and you'll find all the information there. Love it. We'll link those in the show notes so people can definitely uh, just click away and and find out more information if they'd like. Corey, again, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Uh, I I said this before we I hit record. I always learn something new, so I feel like I've learned a ton on this. So uh, my gratitude to you. Thank you very much for teaching me some things today. Oh, and, and thanks for all you do for me, Kevin. I really appreciate you. No problem. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe and I'll see you next time.